Howdy, everyone. If you're here on campus or online, really glad that you're here. We've been talking about loving people. And in our lives, there are people that are pretty uncomfortable to love, sometimes downright awkward. And so leaning into this conversation, we call them our awkward cousins because it might be awkward and we kind of have to name that, but they're still to be treated like family. So no matter how awkward the situation, how do we find ways to love? Last week, we talked about God's definition of love versus our definition of love and trying to let go of our definition and grab a hold of God's definition of love and leaning into awkward family and situations where we love like God loves. And I gave you the assignment this week to love your awkward cousin, maybe your literal awkward cousin, but just someone in your life that's awkward to love. Did you take that assignment? I hope you did, because the assignment I'm gonna give you today is a lot harder. Right, so class, lean in. Here we go. Today I'm going to talk about loving your awkward spouse. And I know some of you hear that and you're like, oh, crud. Like, listen, it's an awkward conversation, right? You might be thinking, oh, crud, because you're single. And you're like, I really would love to have an awkward spouse to spend my time with, because it's better than nothing and you really long to be married, and you're hoping to be married, and so you're like, really, you're gonna talk about this? Or maybe you've just gone through a messy divorce, or you've lost your spouse to death, and you're like, really, we're gonna talk about our spouses and loving our spouses? You're just gonna dredge all of that up? It's like, yeah, okay, before you leave and walk out or tune me out, let me just say two quick things. A couple years ago, in 2015, I did a sermon series called Deconstructing and Reconstructing Marriage. And we leaned into what is marriage and God's definition of marriage and what is it like to be single and how do I date someone and what happens if I go through a divorce and how do I handle the death of my spouse? And so if you need that specific teaching, I'd encourage you to jump on our website and look at those sort of throwback videos, some good teaching there that will help in your specifics. But I also think no matter where you are, whether you're single, divorced, whether you've gone through a death of your spouse, whether your marriage is great or your marriage is terrible, if you lean into this moment, God has things to teach you today. It doesn't really matter your circumstances. And honestly, the only thing worse than talking about your awkward spouse when you don't have a spouse is the fact that there are people in this room right now who are listening right now that their spouse is their awkward cousin. I mean, let me say that again. The person that's most uncomfortable for Certain couples here right now, the one that's most difficult to love is their husband or their wife. You know, if your husband is your awkward cousin or your wife is your awkward cousin, like there's certain ways if you take that, literally I can't help you. Like if you literally married your cousin, go back to West Virginia. Like, I mean, just head back out of here. There's no sermon I could preach to fix that problem, okay? But if in your relationship, with your husband or with your wife, things are so uncomfortable, so difficult, so downright awkward. There's something for you to hear today. If you're single and you're struggling, there's something here for you. If your marriage is great today, there's something here. Because if you come to the God of the universe humble and hungry, he feeds his kids. He feeds. And so, Lean in wherever you are on this journey, and I I believe there's something God has for you. Would you pray with me? God, whatever marital status we find ourselves in, single and longing, 
single and content, grieving over divorce or death. Marriages are going great or marriages are struggling. Would you meet us? Holy Spirit, would you teach? Would you comfort? Would you guide? Would you convict? Would you help us? And if there's someone listening right now that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would, through this conversation, hear something of the hope and the peace and the power of God and the love of God, that they would put their trust in you because you're faithful and kind in every and all situations. We're going to lean in, God. Meet us, I pray, in Jesus' name. So if you're married, I want you to think back to that day, right? The bride was beautiful, the groom was handsome, and you stood up in front of your family and friends, and you made a contract, a covenant, a commitment, till death do us part. You, you said, I will love and cherish in sickness and in health till death do us part. How do you go from that happy moment to right now where things are awkward, where things are uncomfortable? where there's tension, where there's a divide, where maybe you have a hard time even talking to each other or understanding each other. How do you go from that happy moment to you haven't made love in months or years? How do you go from that happy moment to you avoid conversations altogether? How do you go from that happy moment to to the spot where you are today where you're wondering, should I hit the eject button and get out? How does it go from happy, lovey, beautiful to awkward, uncomfortable, difficult. Why? How? And you might be thinking, well, that would never happen in my marriage. Like, we have such strong love that that could never happen. Like, oh, really? It's happened to better people than you. So don't at at any of this go, not me. We can't. Because it's normal to have awkward, uncomfortable situations and circumstances that cause tension and divide in good, healthy marriages. And we just have to wade into the awkward and name it because in that, God will meet us. So for me to answer the question, why is my marriage so awkward? We kind of have to zoom out high and wide first and then we'll get down close and personal. You got me? So Things get awkward with my spouse when we ignore God's purpose for marriage. I want you to turn your Bibles to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, first chapters of the Bible. To understand the awkward in marriage, I first must understand the purpose and the design of marriage. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit live in perfect unity for all eternity equal in value, distinct in role. They choose in their love to create a world, to share their love and their purpose with. God makes Adam the first man and says to Adam, take care of my world and rule over it. And he says this in Genesis 2.18, he says to Adam, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a suitable helper for him, a helper suitable for him. I'll make a complementarian companion for him. And out of man, God makes woman. And if you go back to Genesis chapter one, we get a little more detail about this creating of man and woman. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 gives us insight. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth 
and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God makes men and women in his image. And he gives them this assignment, fill the earth, subdue the earth, and rule the earth. And just one person or just one gender couldn't accomplish that assignment to rule and fill which is where we get the institution, the design, the beginnings of marriage. So if you look at where the roots of marriage come from in the Bible, it's Genesis 2.24, look at it. It said, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. Why does a man leave his father and mother? It's this, end, this fill the world and subdue it, rule the world and subdue it together. It's not good for a man to be alone. It's not possible for a man to do this alone. That's why a man leaves his father and mother Genesis 2.24, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So from the start of humanity, God had a design. I like summarizing this marriage institution by saying marriage is a transforming bond that helps us to fulfill God's purpose. Marriage is this bond. It's God's design. It's to help fulfill his purpose he created one man and one woman, and he joined hearts. Listen, he created one man and one woman, and he joined hearts and parts together to be able to rule over the world and fill it with more people. And this connection of hearts and parts creates a bond between husband and wife that's designed by God to help us, to protect us, and to empower us to serve the world and to accomplish God's purposes. This is his design. This is the purpose of marriage. And what sin does is it enters our world and it distorts everything, including marriage, to the point where we don't know what marriage is for and we've yet to experience, some of us, the goodness of marriage. We've just experienced the pain and the problems of marriage. So in ancient times, one of the ways humanity's distorted marriage is that a man would have multiple wives. Now, if you want to know awkward, a man with multiple wives, that's awkward, right? And you might go, it's awkward in my marriage. It's not awkward as that. That's awkward. And in our current times, we've redefined marriage to mean that we can marry whoever we want for as long as we want based on our appetites and our feelings. And we wonder why marriage is distorted and why there's struggle and awkward and uncomfortable. Let's bring it a little bit closer. One of the reasons that things may be awkward in your marriage is because when you got married, did you open up the Bible and go, now what's God's design for marriage? What's his purpose in marriage. No, most of us didn't do that at all. We're like, she's hot. I want to marry her, right? Or he's handsome and he went to the right school and he has the potential of being a great father, right? And so we have our view of marriage, our idea, our design, our definition, our thoughts about marriage, and we bring that into our lives. Like marriage is success. Marriage is once I've arrived, I'll have a couple kids and a, you know, a Chevy and a picket fence and a couple of dogs and I've arrived or I'm a powerful, capable person and I'm going to marry another powerful, capable person and we're going to become a power couple together and we're going to change the world, 
right? We have these views of what marriage is, but when have you ever really asked the question, what is God's design for marriage? You weren't going to be like those people, right? You guys were stronger. Your marriage is better. Your love is greater. You'd never struggle. There was nothing going to be awkward in your marriage. There would never be anything uncomfortable. In your minds, everything was going to be great. And the problems arise. He did something to break trust. She nags constantly. You no longer can talk to each other. You no longer can trust each other. You've lost the spark, the feeling. The nest is empty. We don't even know who we are anymore. We don't know how to relate. It's just awkward and getting more awkward and more awkward. And all your plans and all your thoughts about how things would go haven't panned out. Have you gone back to God's definition of marriage? Marriage is a transforming bond that helps us to fulfill God's purpose. This marriage thing that we're in isn't about you. And the moment two sinful, broken people live together, sleep together, parent together, work together, garden together, do whatever you do together, the moment two sinful people that are thinking about themselves come together and make it about you, it's bound to be awkward and uncomfortable and difficult. In your marriage, if it's awkward, even a little awkward or a little uncomfortable, I'd encourage you, go back to the reason marriage was designed and see what God says and apply that to your marriage. Things get awkward in marriage when we ignore God's job description for husband and wife. If you have your Bibles, flip forward to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Things get awkward when we ignore God's job description for husband and wife. So all of us approach marriage, and and very rarely do we look at what God's design is. We pick up our design for marriage, and very rarely do we look at God's job description for husband and wife. I have my vision of what a good husband looks like. My wife has her vision of what a good wife looks like, and we project onto each other like, For my wife to be a good wife, she has to do this. She has to act like this. She has to smell like this. She has to talk like this. This is the way she has to be. And she projects that on me. And we have our own ideas of what being a husband is like or being a wife is like. But when was the last time you pulled out the manual? Right? You're frustrated. There's awkwardness. Something is uncomfortable. There's tension. There's brokenness. Maybe pick up the manual, dude right? And, and look at what God says, because maybe in that we'll learn our job description of husband and wife. And that's what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 5. Before he gets to the job description of husband and wife, though, he says something interesting in verse 21. He's talking to all followers of Jesus. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All of you, every single one of you, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, FYI, before she is ever your wife, she's your sister. Before he's ever your husband, she's, he's your brother. So there's this family relationship, and what Paul is saying is submit to one another, voluntarily put yourself under your brother, your sister. So brothers... They're commanded, sisters, commanded to voluntarily put aside my preferences. 
And let my sister's preferences be what governs our relationship. What my brother's preferences, let that govern our relationship. I am voluntarily putting myself under, putting my preferences, my desires, my NFL team, my under, and putting yours over. That's the way God designed families, brothers and sisters, to relate. So before she's ever your wife, she is and will always be your sister. Before he's ever your husband, he is and will always be your brother. Here's why that's so important, because Jesus makes this little comment that says, when we die and we live in the next life, we don't need husbands and wife anymore. That job is done. That's an earth job. In heaven, we will always be brothers and sisters. So your wife is your sister forever. She's your wife now, sister forever. Your brother, forever. Husband, only temporary submit to one another. And with that in mind, listen to the job description God writes for wives and husbands, Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to be present, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Hear the echo of design? The two become one from Genesis 2, now repeated here in Ephesians 5 in this job description. Paul says, wives... Submit to your husbands. Husbands, die for your wives. And you go, that's crazy. That's archaic. That's so patriarchal. That's nuts. I'll never do that, but your awkward marriage isn't going so well, and you've been doing it your way. Maybe it's time for us to go back to the manual, back to the design of what marriage is and what God says, because maybe there's something to help us here. Remember, men and women are equal in value and distinct in role. This isn't she's smarter, he's smarter, he's stronger, she's stronger. That's not what this is. This is fulfilling God's purpose in marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands, he says, like you do to Christ. With Jesus, you trust that he loves you, and so you submit to his leadership and you respect him. Husbands, be like Jesus and die for your wives. Your wife, wives, die for your wife. Whoa. Put your preferences aside, your time alone aside, your hobby aside, your opinions aside, your comfort aside. Put that all aside and die for her, is what Paul's saying. And it might sound crazy, but maybe if you haven't tried it, you should consider it. Because you want to know why your marriage is awkward? Maybe it's because we haven't followed God's job description. 
We don't treat our spouse like brothers or sisters. We don't mutually submit to one another and love each other in this eternal relationship where I put your needs above my needs. And husbands, man, oh man, how often the problem is because we put our needs first and we're living for ourselves and our hobbies and our opinions and our careers and we wonder why our wives don't respect us and wives don't submit or respect You put your needs above his needs and you wonder why there's tension because you're constantly pushing and fighting to move forward. Maybe that's why your marriage is awkward because one or both of you are not doing your job. You know at work, if people don't follow their job descriptions, what happens? Gets chaotic. What about in marriage? When we don't follow our job descriptions, what happens? Maybe, just maybe, the awkward between husband and wife has something to do with this job description. Lean back into the job description. Lean back into the purpose of marriage and say, God, show me the purpose of marriage and how I fit. God, show me what my role is and give me the ability to fulfill my job description. And you'll notice what's so interesting about Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33. It doesn't say, well, you know what? You should submit to your husband as long as he loves you. It doesn't say, you know, you should love your wife as long as she respects you. No, he just says, this is your role. Husband, wife, do your part. Focus on your part and watch. See how God takes something that's uncomfortable and awkward and makes it better. Last reason, our marriages are awkward. Things get awkward in marriage when you don't work on your marriage, when you don't work on it. I I like to plant a garden every year, right? So I, I like the idea of, picking out things that I want to grow, cleaning the soil up, turning it over, planting. And when I plant my garden, it's always super organized, right? The spacing between each plants. It looks so great when you finish. You're so hopeful because you have in your mind something that you want to accomplish and something you want to grow. And you put it down and you place it in there and you get the cages around the tomatoes. And you, you just it's just fun and hopeful. And you look forward to when the tomatoes are big enough and I can cut the basil and cut the mozzarella and put it all together. Ah, that's a beautiful, right? Like I want that hopeful organized moment. But what happens when I stop weeding my garden? What happens when I stop weeding my garden for a week or a month or many months? What happens if the whole summer I leave and travel for work or go on vacation and go, ah, what's the matter if the garden? What, what do I come back to in my garden? Just chaos, right? To the point where I can't even see the goodness of my fruit, the goodness of my vegetables, and I just go, rip it down. Let's start over next year. I mean, how many times is that true about our marriages? It starts out so beautiful, so hopeful, so much joy, so much energy, and you never thought it would land here, but you look at your marriage and it's a wreck. Just tear it down and start over with someone else as if that's going to solve the problem instead of going, no, marriage takes work. Two broken people, two sinful people. Life is hard, parenting is hard, work is hard, stress is hard. There's so many hard things in life, like so many weeds that grow up in our hearts and in our marriages that need to be dealt with. And when we neglect it for just a week or a month or a year or a couple years, we wonder why we look at it and go, there's nothing left. I can't encourage you enough to just name the fact. If your husband today is your awkward cousin 
and it's uncomfortable. There's something little or big that's awkward between you and him. Name it. If there's something awkward or uncomfortable between you and your wife, name it. Because if you don't say it, if you don't deal with it, if you don't name the fact that there's weeds, there's problems, it doesn't just go away. Maybe it's time to roll up your sleeves and work your garden, and it may be uncomfortable. That's okay. Maybe it's time to just name it with your spouse and say, hey, there's little things or big things that are awkward and uncomfortable, and if we don't talk about it, we don't work on it, it's not going to go away. And when you try to approach the topic of talking about this, can I remind you of something simple and biological? You have two ears and one mouth. Use it proportionately. Right? Two ears, one mouth. So when you surface a problem in your marriage, use both ears and shut your mouth. Right? Say half of what you listen to. Say half. Listen more and talk less and surface the issues and work it out. And if you go, man, I, I can't even talk to my wife. I can't even talk to my husband. You can write her. You can text her. You can say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's the awkward. Here's the uncomfortable. Text, email, write, find a way to communicate. Name the awkward. Name that your marriage has weeds that are overgrown. And then start pulling the weeds. And here, you start pulling the weeds by looking at Ephesians 5, through 33. And you don't pull her weeds. You work on you. You go back to your job description and it isn't conditional on her or him. It's God, make me the husband I'm intended to be. Because FYI, you can't even change yourself. How your New Year's resolution's going. And you're gonna change her? You're gonna change him? When your New Year's resolutions are dead and gone? You can't even sustain it for nine months? So you go to the job description of Ephesians 5, through 33, and you say, God, make me the husband you want me to be. Make me the wife you want me to be. And you watch as you start to weed your own heart how God can start to do something in your marriage. And if things are going great in your marriage right now, don't stop weeding. Don't let some little thing grow and fester and form into something larger, something difficult. Decide now that you're not going to have any secrets in your marriage. There's not going to be any surprises in your marriage. Decide now that you're not going to let the sun go down on any anger in your marriage. Those little weeds that you pull on the daily help to keep your garden beautiful. So if things are going great right now, keep working the garden because none of us are above weeds overtaking and things becoming broken and seemingly worthless. Can I encourage you that one of the best ways to work on your marriage is to start praying for your wife or your husband? When was the last time you prayed for her? Oh, you've criticized her. You might have even gossiped about her to your friends. You've slandered her. When was the last time you prayed for her? When was the last time you prayed for him? We're Christians here, Joe. Of course we do that. Bull. When was the last time you prayed for her? When was the last time you prayed for him? When you take the good and the bad, my gosh, my wife drives me nuts with what she does with the toothpaste, right? Do you think that my father in heaven doesn't want to hear that? When I take 
The struggle I have with my wife, as small as it is, and I bring it to my dad, it brings intimacy between me and God because I entrust him with the little frustrations and the great joys. I thanked God this week for the first time in a long time for how much my wife serves our family. When was the last time you thanked God for your spouse? For all that she does, for all that, oh, there's all the bad stuff and the difficult stuff. When was the last time you were grateful for the good stuff? As you bring all of that to God, there's an intimacy that develops between you and him where he begins to change you. And maybe, no matter how good or bad your marriage is, maybe it's time to pray with your wife or your, your husband. And you go, well, you know, we're supposed to do that, right? It, why are you saying that? And, well, how many of you do it? And you feel guilty and ashamed because you don't pray with your wife or you don't. Stop the guilt and the shame. It just paralyzes you. Get rid of that. Start. <laughs> pray with your wife, no matter how good or bad things are. Pray, because look at this promise. you got to hear this in, in light of marriage. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Guess what that's talking about? Uh, lots of things. Do you think marriage is in there? Where two are gathered, where's Jesus? Right there in the mess of the good, the bad, and the ugly. So maybe it's just time to say, can we pray together? And it could be as simple as, God, we're feeling awkward about praying together. Amen. Hey, that's a great start. God, we're struggling because there's some awkward things in our marriage. Amen. God, we want to have a healthy marriage and maintain the joy and the romance. Amen. God, would you help us with our finances? It's putting stress on our marriage. Amen. It doesn't have to be profound, but when you invite the God of the universe, Jesus shows up and says, I'm right there with you. And watch what he does as he begins to change you, as you weed your garden, as you pray together. Start, stop making excuses that we'll pray another day, we'll work on our marriage another day, we'll do it another day. Stop that. Maybe if your marriage is going great, we have this class called The Art of Marriage, and you want to perpetuate that, come to this class starting in October to work on your marriage because it takes work. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, I've done all this and my marriage stinks. Okay. I've done all this. I've followed the three easy steps of looking at God's job description and doing what my part is as husband and wife, and I've prayed and I've worked and we've done all this, but it landed me in divorce. Where's God? This is too much. It's too hard. There's no way it's true. Our marriage is still awkward and or we got divorced. What now? What if my spouse remains awkward? Four things. Be safe. Be faithful. Be hopeful. Be prayerful. Be safe. Why do I say that? Because if you're experiencing abuse or violence, that is not acceptable before God. It's just not. You can't love your spouse when you're being abused. What you can do is get safe. Ask for help. Be safe. But if that's over here, okay, this isn't my awkwardness with my husband or my wife isn't about safety or violence or abuse. It's just we're going in separate directions. Can I encourage you to be faithful? Because you made a vow, and it matters before God and before others. Can I encourage you to be faithful to your job description? To go to Ephesians 2 and say, what's my part? 
And watch when you do your part how God meets you. I'm not saying that's going to make your marriage problems go away or that it won't end in divorce or it's going to fix everything. I'm not saying that. But when you do your part and you're faithful with your part, watch how God shows up and blesses and takes care of you. Be faithful and be hopeful. Here's the deal. I believe God is alive. I believe he's active in this world. I believe Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the scriptures and is changing everything in this world. If that's not true, why are we wasting any of our time? If he is alive, is it possible that he can change you? If he is alive, is it possible that he could change your spouse? But this didn't mess, didn't happen overnight. It's taken time to get here. So be hopeful in God, in what he can do in you, in your heart, and in your garden, and be prayerful. I have people come to me all the time and say, is enough enough? Is it time for me to end this? How can I answer that question or anyone to answer that question for you? But the God of the universe can talk to him. Nobody told you to get married. Nobody can tell you to not be married or know when the is enough is enough. Nobody can tell you that, but you can talk to your father in heaven and you can say to him, God, would you guide me? Would you help me to know what to do next, what to say next, to pursue counseling or to pursue reconciliation or invite some friends and family into this problem? Help me to know what to say and what not to say and help me to keep my mouth closed and my ears open. And you can watch as God leads you through showing you what to do next. Be prayerful. Be safe, be faithful, be hopeful. No matter how awkward it is, God is at work. Name the awkwardness. If there's awkwardness, name it. Start leaning into it and watch. God can help you love your awkward wife. God can help you love your awkward husband. And in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says something brilliant. He says, two are better than one. Two are better than one for everything. Two are better than one for keeping warm. And two are better than one in work. And two are better than one in defending each other. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. Marriage. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. But then he says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Two are better than one, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You and your spouse are better, but a cord of three strands, Jesus, wrapped around you, is what will help you weather any and every storm. Would you pray with me? God, in the scriptures, you use marriage as an analogy of how you love us. You say that you're like a husband that loves and sacrifices for a wife, and you, you describe us in the Bible, humans, as like a bride who's unfaithful. And you use this imagery to teach us your character, your nature, that your nature is to be faithful to vows, faithful no matter what the cost or the consequence. And you invite us as broken individuals to trust you. You're faithful even when we're faithless. So would you help us in our marriages to be faithful even if our spouse is faithless? Would you help us to lean in, to name the awkward, to pray, to hope, to trust, to put ourselves second and everything else and everyone else, especially our spouses, first? 
God, would you bless the marriages in Faith Church? Would you protect us from the schemes of the evil one? Protect us from our ideas of what marriage is and what husbands and wives should be and give us a vision, your vision, for how you can use us and change us and grow us. We trust you. Amen.